You're listening to the From the Hack Curling Podcast, part of the Curling News and Sports Illustrated Partnership. Hi everyone, my name is Frank Rock and welcome to the From the Hack Curling Podcast. Over the past couple of weeks, Curling Canada has made several important announcements such as a revised qualification process for the 2021 Olympic Curling Trials, as well as the introduction of new programs and events for the 2021-2022 season. To get the inside scoop on these announcements and also to discuss the recent World Curling Federation news that the 2021 World Women's Curling Championship has been cancelled, I'll be joined today by Jeff Stout and Helen Radford of Curling Canada, as well as Nolan Thiessen, who works for Curling Canada, but also serves as the chair of the World Curling Federation Athletes Committee. All right, our first guest this week is Nolan Thiessen, who is the Director of Broadcasting, Marketing, Innovation and Event Presentation and Athlete Liaison at Curling Canada, but also serves as the Chair of the World Curling Federation's Players Committee. Nolan joined me to discuss the WCF's recent cancellation of the World Women's Curling Championship, and we also touch on other Curling Canada and curling-related questions. Nolan, the World Curling Federation announced uh, recently that they were cancelling the World Women's Curling Championship scheduled for mid-March in Switzerland when the Swiss local health authority decided not to give the event its stamp of approval. I know you speak with many of the international players in your role as chair of the World Curling Federation's Athletes Committee. How disappointed were the players in that announcement considering the men's worlds are still a go in Calgary? Yeah, and you know, to be honest with you, like in... in having a close relationship with the WCF. I know they were working on things and they're working on protocols in the last, you know, even in the last week. And then all of a sudden the health authority sort of just said, you know, we're not comfortable with this anymore. You're not going to, we're not going to ever sign off on this. So, I mean, it just, it kind of was out of their hands in terms of the, the athletes. Yeah. They're devastated. Right. I mean, like it's two years in a row. Um, that it's been that's been cancelled or postponed and and you know when you you look at it it's been a it's been a tough year right like there's been so many events cancelled or events that were started and then you know ended in the middle and um you know there was just there's been so many bad news stories and and curling's not in a silo right it's we're not the only sport that has cancellations it's not like you know, we're, we're sitting there going, you know, how come we're the only one that's not running and everybody else is finding a way. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, it wasn't a surprise maybe to some, but it's still, it still sucks because the athletes are training, right? Like you sort of get into a mode and it's just over a month until the world women's. And I think that, you know, they've kind of looked at it as there's a shining light at the end of the tunnel that we're still going to have our worlds at least. And then for, for that announcement today to come out, it's just it's just sad for them. And, and I, I feel for all of them, I'm gutted for them. It's just, um, I know they're kind of, they know that it's, it's the pandemic, it is what it is, but, um, you know, they're, they're looking for something where, where they can have uh, something to be excited to play in. I've spoken to a lot of curlers over the past uh, six, seven months, uh, Nolan, and many of them have told me that they've had a difficult time dealing with the fact that the curling season has all but been cancelled outside of a few events and uh, the upcoming bubble. And uh, this was a sport that typically takes up much of their lives. Is that something that you've noticed as well in your discussions with curlers, both in Canada and in other parts of the world? 
Absolutely. I mean, you know, with all athletes, I think training and competition is part of their being, right? Like it's just, it's what makes them feel comfortable. I mean, I know I had it, um, was, you know, when it was a major event coming up and you're, you know, you're wrapping up your training and you're, um, you're trying to get your rest and recovery and, and you're, you know, you're planning for, for showing up and, and you just, I would get to the point where it's just like, I can't wait to just get on the plane. Like, I just want to get there and start this process. We've got it all planned out. And obviously things change as we go and, and, you know, you win some and you lose some games, but you know, we, we sort of have a, have a plan here for how we want to, what we want to accomplish and to not have that. It's, it's strange, right? Like it's, it's really hard as much as a lot of athletes enjoy training because it's, it's, it's the time where you can get better. It's also hard when you don't have the payoff of competition, right? Cause there's, you can play games, but it's not the same is when it really matters, right? Like a great example is this weekend, Nick and, and Anna played against each other in, in Sweden and live streamed. And, and, you know, that's, that's great competition with two world-class teams, but your heart rate never gets up to the same way as it does in a world championship or, you know, in Canada at a Scotties or Briar. It just doesn't, it, it, it just, you can't replicate that. Right. And that's what athletes live for. That's why they train is to get in those moments and to really not have those at all over the last, you know, since March 12th, 2020, it's, I, I, I guarantee it's been tough on them, but um, I think that's why some of us who are now working um, behind the scenes are still trying so hard to try to do something safely for the athletes to, to have some competition um, and to have some place safe to compete in and to um, feel alive for lack of a better word, um, you know, to, to just get those juices flowing because that's, that's why you're an athlete. That's what you want. It makes you feel alive. There has been a lot of conversation about why the World Curling Federation chose to stick with Switzerland as host of the Women's Worlds this year when it seemed to most people like it would have made sense to host all events under one bubble in Calgary. I'm sure you've been privy to some conversations at the World Curling Federation level. What was behind the logic of not moving the Women's Worlds to Calgary when the bubble was announced and perhaps go to Switzerland next season when hopefully traveling and competitions have gone back to something a little closer to what we call normal? I think honestly, from, from the start, you know, Switzerland was confident in that they were going to be able to put together a health and safety protocols that would work. Right. And, and I mean, um, like less than a month ago, they had uh, a bobsled um, world cup in, in Switzerland and they had an Alpine event in Switzerland. And I know those are a little more outdoors ish types of events, but they still had health and safety protocols and, and, and testing and various things for those, for those athletes. Um, so I think they were just, you know, they were confident that they could put together a plan and, and I don't think the WCF wanted to not give them that opportunity. I mean, when they were, you know, they're confident that they could put it together. I know, I know from our perspective at Curling Canada, if we said we're confident and, and here's what, we think we can do. And they said, yeah, well, we just don't want to do it there. You know, obviously there would be concerns and there's contractual issues there as well. So I think, I think they were confident that they were going to be able to find a way. And and like a lot of things in the pandemic, you're, you're looking to find a way until someone tells you 
you're not welcome here anymore. You're, you're, you, you haven't found the way yet. So we're shutting you down. Right. So yeah, it was just kind of a, it's unfortunate. Now, the cancellation of the Women's World certainly threw a wrench into any planning that national federations may have wanted to do on the women's side, at least, uh, if they finish in the top six at Worlds and qualified for the Olympic Games. I'm sure this cancellation has made things a little bit more complicated, no? No, honestly, we're not the only part that, that is having issues with the qualification, right? I know, you know, there's still half the athletes almost that qualified for Tokyo yet. Um, so... Um, I know the D and their director uh, are in contact with the WF in terms of sort of what's happened, what could, how do you think you're going to qualify everyone for the games in Beijing? Uh, you know, what's your, so, and, and honestly, I think the VCF is still looking at it as everybody who's, everyone who's in the world championship this year, um, or any of the three blends, they've kind of earned two shots at the Olympics sort of earned supposed to be the world championship. And then whoever doesn't get in goes to the Olympic fire next December. So you re- those, those member stations have two chances. I think the WCF is still hopeful that that can take place. Right. And, and I think you saw it in the press release where they said, you know, effectively we still want to settle this on the ice. So, I mean, I think, I think all the member associations just have to be a little flexible, see what's possible um, from a health and safety perspective, see what's possible from a financial perspective for the WCF and, and still get their two opportunities. And they might be a little unusual or they might be at an odd time. You may be like if something's in the fall next year, I mean, don't traditionally have an Olympic qualifier September or October for the Olympics, but I'm better than it's better than not settling on the ice. I think they they have to be flexible and, and and just create a plan that they put their teams, whoever they sent those competitions, in the best place possible. Now, I realize that the team at Curling Canada is moving along with the idea that all of the events will happen in the Calgary bubble as planned, but did the relatively sudden change of heart by the Swiss Health Authority give you any pause for thought that the same thing could potentially happen with Alberta Health Services or another health organization in Alberta in the days leading up to the Calgary bubble? Yeah, all, all we really can can control, Frank, is that we can. We're working with our health authorities. You know, Alberta, um, Alberta Public Health, the Calgary Health Region, um, as well as Public Health Canada and, and Sport Canada and, and Canadian Heritage, um, who who kind of takes a lead on this to help facilitate everything, both with um, Public Health Canada um, as well as as our you know, Canada Border Services Agency to to ensure that um, it, if we get exemptions that everything's in place so that when the athletes arrive, it's it's known what they're here for and everything. So that's all we do have with all of our, all of our, all the authorities to, um, who, who have the ability to sign off on this. Um, we're, we're talking to the right people and, and they're reviewing everything and making sure that Everything is, is going to keep everybody um, as healthy as possible, both, you know, not only our athletes and staff and, and the broadcasters on site, but, you know, Canadians, because you've got people arriving at airports and, and, um, and the local, um, you know, the local people here in Calgary to keep make sure that they're safe as well. So um, that's all, that's all we really can do. Right? And, and, you know, our, our um, our protocols and health and um, 
health and safety plan is different than the one in Switzerland because ours is built for Calgary and built for Canada. So, I mean, I think the cancellation there, even though it's unfortunate, it doesn't put any extra strain on us. It's just um, shows that, you know, try maybe doing, doing a few things that seem like there may be, maybe too much, I think is, 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 um, is not the way to look at it. You, you got to make sure that you're doing everything you possibly can. And, and um, even, even if it seems like a little bit overkill, just to try to make sure everybody's safe for these events. And finally, Nolan, as we record this interview, the World Killing Federation has not yet announced what they will do with the Women's Worlds, whether they're hoping that the event can be hosted elsewhere or perhaps wait until the fall when they can host an Olympic qualification event. There has been some talk of potentially hosting the Women's Worlds at the end of the Calgary bubble schedule, but that is pure speculation at this point. Have you heard any news on this or is it still very much up in the air at this point? I think it's quite up in the air. I mean, it's ultimately the WCF's decision, I think. Um, I think if they turned to Curling Canada and said, what would it look like? I mean, we'd, we'd look into it for them for sure to see, to see what it would look like to go into our bubble at the end, as you say. But, you know, once we'll, we'll cross that bridge if, if we get that phone call. This season, From the Hack has not approached any of our usual podcast sponsors because we understand that the pandemic and the limited curling season so far has made it difficult on curling stakeholders. That said, I want to thank Hardline Curling, Jet Ice, Asham Curling Supplies and Equipment, and the Curling Zone for their support over the years, and we look forward to working with them again when the curling community, and the whole world for that matter, has turned the page on the COVID-19 pandemic. My next guest this week is two-time world and three-time Briar champion Jeff Stoughton, who currently serves as national coach and program manager with Curling Canada. We discuss the Women's World's cancellation, the upcoming bubble in Calgary, and the recently announced changes to the 2021 Canadian Olympic Trials qualification process. Jeff, earlier this week, the World Curling Federation announced that they were cancelling the World Women's Curling Championship schedule for next month in Switzerland. Did the announcement catch you and the team at Curling Canada off guard at all, or were you anticipating that the Women's Worlds would be cancelled or relocated? No, I think everyone uh, expected that it would get done. I mean, Switzerland's a great country where, you know, curling's very, very popular, and we know that they are, uh, you know, all the safety protocols look like everything was going to be in place, so... I wouldn't say it caught us off guard or anyone off guard, but I think the expectation was still there that it was going to run. So yes, it it was a bit of a surprise that uh, they pulled out. Uh, It's not so much last minute. I mean, I know it's already, you know, at least a month and a half away. So it gives everyone some time to sort of digest that. But, uh, you know, the situation is what it is. And I guess they just felt they just couldn't keep everyone safe. And I think that's uh, how we look at everything. If you're not able to run a safe environment, uh, why put anybody at risk? You know, not alone, let alone the players, but the umpires, the officials, the ice crew, everything that has to go, that every, every, everything that's involved with putting on a world championship. So I guess they just didn't feel they uh, had enough time to make was right, or they just felt health just wasn't the risk and, and there's nothing wrong with that for sure. At the time that we are recording this interview, the World Curling Federation has yet to announce whether the Women's Worlds will be relocated, perhaps to the Calgary bubble, or if the event will be moved to the summer or the fall. From a Curling Canada perspective, would you prefer the Women's Worlds to take place this spring in Calgary or next fall? Um, well, I mean, <laughs> you know, completely biased. I mean, we'd love to be able to run it right after the uh, 
Grand Slam events uh, in the bubble. I mean, because that I think gives our Canadian team a, a great advantage that they've uh, played, you know, the Scotties there, and then uh, you know a couple Grand Slams and get to play right away into a World Championship. I I doubt that's going to happen, but I think realistically, um, they probably would run something in October, late September, early October, um, like a, an Olympic qualifying event. I don't think it's going to be called a World Championship, but I think it'll be an Olympic qualifying event. Uh, and that's where they'll they'll get the six teams that get uh, six countries that will get their direct entries into the Olympics because uh, their last chance qualifying event is in uh, early December, so they have to give a, a few months in between. So I would expect if if nothing happens this year, that uh, something in late September, early October, who knows where it will be, but uh, it would be sort of a, an Olympic qualifier for the women's countries to get into the Olympics. Will the cancellation of the Women's Worlds impact Curling Canada on any levels that the audience might not expect, uh, Jeff, such as funding? Or is the main concern now how the cancellation and the change in scheduling might impact a team that represents Canada at the rescheduled Worlds or Olympic qualifying event? Yeah, I mean, it it definitely is an impact. Um, You know, it's I don't think there's too much of a concern about funding. It's a huge Olympic year. Curling is still... uh, really big on the radar for the Olympic Association. Um, but having said that, the impact really is the teams, which means that us as, as sort of the governing body, we have to figure out how we're going to get our teams to be at their best multiple times during the year. Like usually, you know, in a trials year, you're sort of peaking during the the fall you're trying to play your best in December to or late November, early December to win the trials and then give yourself a good uh, month and a half to prep and, and get ready to uh, take on the, take on the Olympics. I guess this year is about two months prep, but um, so now, I mean, we're going to have to have a team or, you know, send a team, whether it's the Scotties winner or whatever it happens to be. I mean, they're going to have to go and play close to their best in October or we'll say late September, early October um, turn around, try and get prepped for, you know, a, a couple of little events that are going to be running in the fall, then try and peak again in late November to win the curling trials, two months off to, to get ready for the Olympics. So it really does change the dynamic of how um, uh, a team is going to prepare. And, and I think it's going to be tough because, you know, um, there'd be a huge amount of pressure on that team to perform in October if required to finish top six, to get that Olympic spot. Um, You know, that changes your whole dynamic of what you're doing, even in October or sorry, in August and September, if you've been picked as that team, like, so it definitely changes uh, the planning and the scheduling and what to do. And, and, uh, and it's going to be tough on, on whatever team it is that is going to represent and that's why it would sure be nice if we could play it this <laughs> this May, but I doubt that's going to happen. So I think uh, as soon as there's some announcement uh, officially about what's what the plan is, then uh, we'll, we'll get our heads together, Curling Canada, and start coming up with a, a good scheduling plan and a training plan for, for the team that's going to have to go. And Jeff, is it fair to say that the team that wins the 2021 Scotties might not be the team that represents Canada at an Olympic qualifying event in the fall if one should take place? Yeah, I mean, I... I have no idea. I mean, we're not, uh, I don't think anyone wants to get tied down to any type of commitments. I'm certainly just a a small little portion of who would decide what would be our best option. 
Um, you know, I think you have to look at the, the, the greater good of making sure Canada gets into the Olympics. Um, you know, we don't know how the, the, the women's teams are, are going to react this year at the Scotties. I mean, it's going to be a completely different type of, of atmosphere in a sense of, well, number one, there's no fans. So that atmosphere is one thing, but when you win, there's, there's no, you know, you're not going in three weeks to the world championships. So it's, it's going to be a different, uh, a different little event. That's for sure. And I shouldn't say little, but you know, a different event for the Scotties, which I'm sure it's disappointing for the players as well, sort of that unknown, but uh, you know, at some time whenever the announcement comes out, I'm sure there'll be, uh, Lots of us that will be trying to figure out in conjunction with the team's input as well, which, you know, with all our top teams to try and figure out what would be the best way to ensure Canada gets to the Olympics. I want to ask you to put your coaching hat on for a moment here, Jeff. Uh, team Gushu and Team Anderson did not get a chance to represent Canada at the last World Championships because they were cancelled due to the pandemic. Now, Team Gushu is an experienced team, having won three briars in the World Championship together, not to mention the fact that Brad Gushu and Mark Nichols won Olympic gold together earlier in their career. Uh, as for Team Anderson, though, Shannon Burchard is the only member of that team, I believe, to have worn the Maple Leaf at the World Championship, serving as the alternate for Team Jones at the 2018 Worlds in North Bay. How important would that World Championship experience have been for Team Anderson should they go on to win the Canadian Olympic Trials and represent Canada in the 2022 Olympics in Beijing? Yeah, I think, you know, if I if I put a coaching hat on, which I do once in a while, that's for sure. Um, uh, yeah, I think, you know, it, there's nothing – it's something special about putting that Maple Leaf on. There's different expectations. Uh, you got the whole country cheering you on from all the curling fans across the country – um it's a different atmosphere even though you've played most of the teams it's still different and I think um it's certainly you know it's a missed opportunity for team Einerson to experience that I know talking back with Brad Jacobs um when he represented when he won the Briar in 2013 how much of a learning experience it was for him to be at a world championship and how much it helped him when they represented Canada at the Olympics, just knowing how exhausting it is and how much of your time is required. Like you go to a Scotties or a Briar and you're just one of the teams that could win. Now, when you're at the worlds, you're, you're team Canada. Like the, the media is only talking to you. You don't have to, you know, they're not talking to 11 other teams. They're just talking to you. So, um, you know, it's, it is a learning experience and uh, you know, I, I would be, I'm disappointed for team Irishman just that they couldn't experience that and get that world championship experience, um, you know, that could lead them on to bigger and better things. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, and there's been teams that go to their first world championships and win and, and, and do okay. So, uh, it, you know, it's kind of a hit and miss, but there's uh, no, there's nothing better than, and than experience it and, and knowing, what it's going to be like, especially if you get another opportunity later on, um, how you can adjust things. And even my own personal experiences, you know, my first briar looking, you know, looking back on it, we did a lot, a lot of things differently. This, our second briar and we won it, Um, you know, so it just took us that first sort of learning experience to figure it out. And then uh, now we know what we need to do. So um, yeah, you know, everyone's disappointed when, when things get canceled, but uh, it is what it is. Now, traditionally, teams spend a week or so before the Briar or Scotties working on technique and strategy so that when they get to the host venue, they can focus on learning the ice, matching rocks, etc. 
This year, however, most teams will have had a little time to practice together before arriving in Calgary. What have organizers done to try and accommodate the teams and provide them with more more chances to get on the ice prior to the start of the competition compared to Briars and, and Scotties in previous years? Yeah, it's certainly going to be different. Um, you know, and things change uh, daily and weekly uh, based on the Alberta health guidelines. So right now, as of today, each team is going to have uh, two, practice, two one-hour practice sessions on Thursday and two one-hour practice sessions on Friday leading up to the start on uh, Friday night. So 15 minutes per sheet. So that will give them a little bit more time maybe to, you know, get the legs under them if they haven't been able to throw rocks uh, for quite some time and get a little bit used to uh, the atmosphere in the building and what it's going to be like out there. So, you know, usually you get maybe one one hour session, I think, prior to a Scottish or Briar. So uh, because they have to get in there a day earlier, uh, we've got a little bit more time. So each of them should have uh, four one hour sessions. And, uh, you know, hopefully that helps get some of the cobwebs out if they haven't been able to throw too much together. From a competition perspective, what are you expecting to see at the Briar and Scotties this year? Do you think that teams will be able to find their rhythm quickly? Or will the quality of play be off a little bit early in the week while teams get their curling legs beneath them, if you will? Yeah, you know what, I think um, it it will take a little bit. I I don't think you want to get too far behind at the start. Uh, You know, you certainly don't want to start 0-3 or something like that. But you want to get off to a decent start because, you know, I think your confidence level right now is probably not that high just because you're probably nervous about oh my gosh I haven't had enough time on the ice anything like that so if you start off rough it's going to be hard on you but uh, if you can get off to a decent start I think the level of play will 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 get better and better as the week goes on and and it may not be as good as what we're used to seeing um, but typically at any event uh, at the beginning everyone's still figuring out the rocks and figuring out the ice and figuring out you know how it feels out there so you see uh, a little poor play during the start of the week just because skips and players, you know, what's the right weight? Where do I put the broom? And everything gets better and better as the weekend, as the championship weekend gets closer. So I think we're going to see that same trend. We just may not see the quality earlier on um, as, as we go up. So, you know, if, if you started a Scotties and Briar and teams were playing 80% and ramping up to 90% for the championship weekend, maybe at this one we're going to see teams starting at 75 and ramping up to 85 to 90 for the championship weekend. So it's it's whoever's going to, you know, start feeling it. And, and you hate to put that word out there, but the confidence, I think, is is going to be a huge thing just to be comfortable out there to start getting into a rhythm and start feeling great about where you're putting the broom and feeling good about draw weight. Um, so the teams that, that get to that position the quickest probably will be the teams you're going to see on the championship weekend. Now, I realize that you don't have a crystal ball, Jeff, but do you believe that this might be the year where a quote-unquote surprise team might be able to win the Briar or the Scotties, specifically because many of the top teams have not been able to work their way through the season like they typically would so that they can be peaking by the time they get to the Scotties or the Briar? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I, I still think the cream is going to rise to the to the top. And but having said that, I think you may not see as many. Like you may see some of these teams, you know, get out of that first round robin pool by upsetting a couple of the teams that you would expect to get out. So I think that's where you're going to see it. I, th- I think you'll see. Um, you know, you're thinking that these should be the eight teams that are going to make the championship pool, and I could see anywhere from two to four uh, being a surprise uh, because of that 
you know, they could get a quick start, start and get it adapted to the ice and, and, and jump over a couple of teams that way. But I think once you get into that championship round, um, you know, still having four or five of the, of the favorites in there, I still think they're going to get there to the championship final. So where I see the difference will be, uh, you know, you, you kind of look at a Scotty's field or a Briar field and you go, well, here are the eight teams. Here's my prediction of eight. And usually you're pretty close, either six or seven or right. Um, this year, I think you might be down to, you might be only guessing four or five correctly. Cause I, I think there's going to be some upsets and some surprise teams that you wouldn't expect to make the championship round. And that's just due to the preparation time and everything else that's required. But I still feel that um, those best teams in the championship round will, will be playing for the, playing for the Scotties or the Briar at the end of the day. Curling Canada recently announced that they were adding a trial qualification event to the schedule next season. And there is some specific criteria that a team needs to meet to qualify for that new event. I was doing some quick math before getting on Zoom with you, Jeff, and it appears that the men's event might be limited to as little as four or five teams. On the women's side, there wouldn't be that many more. Was that part of the plan here to keep the men's and women's qualifications, uh, that, that, that new event, to a very limited field with everyone else then heading to the pre-trials? Uh, yeah. And that was sort of the, the, the goal of it. I mean, we outlined sort of the criteria, the, the, where you have to be within the last couple of years of, of competition, uh, whether you put a new team together, that was also considered just because you never got an opportunity to prove yourself this year. So regardless of what happens, if a new team wins at the Briar and they get their trial spot, there'll be, there'll still be four teams playing off for one spot in the men's. And I believe on the ladies' side, if it's a new team, um, they'll be playing off for two spots for four teams on the ladies' side. And, you know, I th- you know, you look back and you're, you're trying to sort of predict uh, all the top teams that uh, have been successful and some of the up-and-coming teams. And, and just knowing that these opportunities weren't there, you didn't want to really penalize your, your almost-ins, I'll call it. You know, they almost made it straight into the trials based on their performance. So... Um, you know, another way you can look at it is that, you know, it, it's basically a Canada Cup field, but we've eliminated the teams that have already qualified for the trials. So, you know, here are the teams left over and they get to play for a spot to get into the trials. You, you can never come up with a perfect format. And so there's always going to be complaints about whether that was fair or whether it was the right thing to do. And we feel for our top teams, um, you know, they, they've got an opportunity. If they're not in the trials already, they've got an opportunity to win through hopefully the Scotties or the Briar. If they don't get in that way, uh, they've got a direct entry chance qualifying event in, in the fall to get in. If they don't get in there, then they still have a shot at the pre-trials event. Um, you know, so we felt that we've given our, our predicted top teams a, a great opportunity to get into the trials. And then for the teams that aren't in the, in the direct qualifying event, um, you know, the, the pre-trials is still there. It still has two spots available per, per gender. And I'd love to say that it's going to be a great year next fall, but uh, we just never know in this COVID world. But, you know, hopefully those teams get great opportunities to play some bond spiels. We're hoping to have a couple of direct entries to get into the pre-trial bond spiels. Uh, so there should be lots of opportunities. We just want to make sure we, you know, include as many as we can to, to get that shot to get one of those spots into the pre-trials as well. So, you know, that was sort of the thought process that we had through there, giving our top teams an extra shot at it, either through the qualifying event or pre-trials, and, and just feel that that was uh, the right way to go. 
And finally, Jeff, uh, the very first time I interviewed you, we discussed the addition of mixed doubles to the Olympic program. And at the time, you indicated that the long-term goal or vision, if you will, was to develop a subset of mixed doubles specialists that would eventually provide Curling Canada with a crop of elite mixed doubles teams separate from the four-person teams. That plan was curtailed in part because Johnny Moe and Caitlin Laws won gold in Pyeongchang, and now several other countries have opened their mixed doubles to some of their top men's and women's players such as in Sweden, where Oscar Eriksson and Anna Hasselberg won a mixed doubles world championships together recently. Do you still foresee a day when mixed doubles might be dominated by specialists, or do you think we're at a point now where top players from elite men's and women's teams are likely to compete at nationals and or represent their countries at the World Mixed Doubles Championships and the Olympics for the foreseeable future? You know, I think that's, you know, that's where the development side has got to make sure it uh makes mixed double specialists in a sense that, you know, it's a, st- a stepping stone. I think there's a, a huge opportunity that we want our junior programs to uh, sort of push both type of curling, uh, regular play and mixed doubles. And I think that's the only way we're going to see uh, a team that plays mixed doubles only um, come out and actually represent Canada or any other country. Now it's starting to look like in a way that they're able to be developed as mixed doubles players and then maintain that in their twenties. Cause there's no doubt right now, all the countries are following what we did is, is putting their best players, you know, a, a great curler is still a great curler regardless of mixed doubles or mix or men's or ladies play. So I think um, there, you know, there, there's great opportunity that we um, we should and we, we could maybe still divide the, the curling season into two sections for juniors and and have the first part of the year from uh, September to January be regular normal play and you get your Canadian champion and then from February to March or, or to April you play mixed doubles all these players and just develop that mixed doubles skill and and hopefully that's where their you know the love of the game will will come into it and just become mixed doubles players as they move on to to uh, the men's and ladies portions of it when they be, I guess work their way out of juniors so that to me will will be the only way is is to see the young players come up and really dedicate themselves to mixed doubles and become as good as any men's or ladies player but they'll play mixed doubles will we see it not sure uh you know clearly you know our best players love playing men's and ladies they'll it just depends how, you know, if we can change the landscape a little bit to make mixed as big as those games, then that's, that's the catch-up of it. And uh, in Canada, jump on board and, and have the prize money this year at the Briar and Scotties, uh, obviously being the same with a $300,000 purse and putting the mixed doubles in that class as them is a $150,000 purse, which is, exactly the same because it's only two people um, it is is fantastic that and and those things that you need to see you need to need to see it being developed um like men's and ladies we're going to have bonds those where there's some more cash involved have you know i'll say it well grand slams of mixed up uh for players to play and, and get the profile up there where people who um maybe have success in men's or ladies just because they couldn't quite get the the right the right connection with four players, but they're a fantastic player and, and uh, a lady and a man get to and they end up to be fantastic mixed doubles players. So the, the development is where it needs to happen. And it's that the profile has to get so big um, to be able to drive this, this second sport or this second uh, option for, for curlers. But uh, 
I mean, this year really hurt. I mean, it's, I think it's set everyone back a year with COVID. So, you know, we know this Olympic cycle will, uh, will I'm sure we'll, we will see a lot our top men's and ladies playing in mixed doubles. We're going to across the board in other countries as well. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what the next four or five years brings for mixed doubles, but hopefully, you know, sponsor and, and that will get on board and we can start getting this, uh, the profile that it needs to uh, sort of be in the spotlight as much as men's and ladies. My final guest this week is Helen Radford, the manager of Youth Curling and Next Gen at Curling Canada. We discuss the new events and programs recently announced by Curling Canada, which will create new opportunities for young curlers. Helen, Curling Canada recently announced a series of new programs and events geared at younger curlers. The development of such programs and events does not happen overnight. Can you share with the audience how long you and your team have been working on all of this? Oh, absolutely. And and I'm really glad you brought that up because this is definitely not uh, something that just popped up. Um, you know, they're, they're, we've been working on this for years. So um, I started in a role with Curling Canada about four and a half years ago, um, working with youth, youth curling. And uh, we started looking at our long-term curler development and taking a look at sort of the pathway that the kids go from the playground to the podium. So we actually started back at the beginning and, and reviewed our entire system that we have for our youth players. And what we realized is on the Curling Canada side, there, there was really just the under-21 nationals um, and then every four years, the Canada Games. So in taking a look at what we needed to do to build a pathway and to build system, a system of competitions throughout the way, um, we started from the beginning, uh, even looking at the fundamentals. So we looked at, you know, when kids generally start to curl, it's, it's kind of under nine, under 12. So we call that fundamentals and learn to train. And, and we started looking at what are our gaps, even when kids start to come into curling. And we started developing learn to curl programs and coming up with different programs that are specific for under nine, under 12, um, under 15 gets into sort of train to train. And then from there, we do start to branch out a little bit uh, into under 18, under 21, uh, under 25. So we've actually been developing programs over the last number of years that have followed through our whole long-term curler development. So what you're, the announcement that was made is, is really highlighting some of the um, the older events that that are kind of coming out and we definitely you know there is there's no question um, a couple of the events were created to help the kids that have gone through you know a difficult transition with COVID and you know us having to cancel some events and just in their life you know in other sports and school has changed and and then we also had that age and uh, schedule change for under 21. So we really want to make sure we're taking care of um, creating opportunities that are that are fun, that are meaningful, that are inclusive uh, for kids all across Canada. So that under 15 um, rock fest that we've come up with, that actually started over two years ago. We've been working on that. So that's a singles event. So it's individuals who work on that. And Jerry Peckham and Rob Kreps have been talking about singles for years. And Rob Kreps was, uh, started to pilot some things in Edmonton out of the Savile Center with singles. And that's kind of where it, where it started um, was a few years ago when, when Rob was doing that. And then we started talking about how can we 
bring this into our youth all across Canada. And uh, a couple of years ago, we thought, you know what, why don't we create an app? And um, so we've been working with Stephen Orr on that app and, and we're, we've made really great progress. It's, I think it's going to be a, a great opportunity for our young players because at under 15, we don't want them to feel like if they're not on a team per se, then they don't have any opportunities to sort of pursue things in curling. So it gives the individuals a chance at their curling club with their coach um, or with uh, somebody who's certified who can enter their scores into the app, an opportunity to maybe go to a, a regional event and then at that regional event, you know, meet lots of other kids. Um, that's where we're, we'll introduce triples. Uh, that's another uh, program we actually piloted uh, two or three years ago. So that one's we've been working on for quite some time. And actually, I've been quite happy this year uh, to hear that that's gaining quite a bit of traction. And that was another uh, Rob Kreps idea. And he piloted it out of um, out of the out of Edmonton, the Savile Center. And and then we had uh, a number of provinces sort of pilot triples for us. And our original target for that was under 12. Um, because we really feel that that's, that's a huge piece in curling is what we, what we typically have done is kids enter youth programs and they kind of get stuck in a position, you know, there's no rotating that happens in it. So if you're new to curling, you kind of get stuck on the front end and, and don't necessarily learn about, you know, how do you actually call a shot? What does the rock look like when it's coming towards you? How do you call the line? if you're brushing by yourself, like you've got to make those judgment calls. So it it provides kids um, an opportunity for some decision-making and being part of a team and and trying it out. You know, if, if you played, if you were 10, 12, you know, 14 years old playing on different teams, you tend to play different positions. You don't always get stuck in the same position throughout your whole um, youth career on it. So we want to make sure that in curling, we're offering our kids an opportunity to play multiple positions. So yeah, I guess that's a super long answer to (laughs) your question, but I mean, I can talk about this for days because we've really worked on, um, quite a few things in, in the system. One thing we often hear in Canada is as kids get older, it is increasingly difficult to keep them involved in the sport of curling because they have so many other activities and distractions available to them. Are these new programs geared at providing more curling-related options for kids and keep them involved in the sport? Uh, Absolutely. We are trying to provide opportunities for all kids, and they don't necessarily have to follow a competitive pathway. You know, we want them to be able, if they want to play it recreationally, then that's great. You know, we want to focus on building leagues and inter intercity, uh, interclub leagues, which would be huge. So, yes, we definitely want to try to provide opportunities for individuals and for teams to to stay in the sport. And one of the great things about curling is, you know, kids are, are get to know each other at different events. And and we try to have a social piece to it so that they um you know, we start to build cohorts and, you know, they get to know each other, whether they're not just from the same province or territory, but they've got friends from all across the country. Do you believe that introducing these new disciplines, if I can call them that, uh, such as singles and triples, etc., might help with the diversity in the sport by creating more participation options for new Canadians and racialized individuals who may not feel completely comfortable being put on a team with kids they do not know when they first join a club? 
Absolutely. You know, that can be intimidating if you walk into a club for the first time and everyone knows everyone or they're on a team and you you're not, you know, or, you know, this isn't a sport that you've been exposed to before. So we definitely need to diversify our sport and get we'd love to have more new Canadians curling and trying it out. And so, yes, we on the youth side have been promoting singles, doubles, triples and fours um, and all also in rotating. We think that's really important so that they're getting to know different positions. And we, we also think that um, not every kid is going to be drawn to a four-person team, just as you said. You know, they might want to try singles, and that might be something that they really enjoy, or doubles, or triples. or So we're trying to get out of just the traditional fours curling, um, offer different disciplines. And what we're starting to hear is that lots of clubs are starting to make some changes, not just in youth, you know, they're doing it in adult play or seniors or, you know, they're trying out the different disciplines, which is fabulous. That's, that's how, you know, we're going to offer new options for people and, and keep them in the sport. And not everybody wants to play a two or two and a half hour game. You know, they want to come in for an hour or they want to come in for an hour and a half. So by offering multiple disciplines, it does give, you know, different opportunities for clubs to run different programs. As important as it is to develop uh, programs to initiate new people to the sport, is it fair to say that Curling Canada will be using these new programs and events to help identify young athletes that show potential and might eventually become part of your under-18 program and ultimately your next-gen program? Absolutely. So you'll see in under-15, athletes will be, or coaches will be entering athletes' data into an app. And so that app will get will provide us with that information. Um, you know, maybe we recognize a, a young girl or boy in Northern Ontario and say, "Wow, look at the scores we're seeing!" You know, from so and so. Let's keep our eye on on them. Um, you know, so it'll give us an opportunity to do some tracking at an under fifteen level because we really don't have any data. And at under 18, whether it's Canada Games or our nationals, um, we do take stats and we do track and we've got national coaches on site. Same thing with under 21. Um, so we, we are definitely working on developing sort of opportunities for us to identify um, individuals and teams across the country so that we can jump in and, and work with them earlier. Helen, earlier you briefly mentioned the change that Curling Canada made a while back uh, to the timing of the Under-21 Championship. For those in the audience who may have forgotten about that announcement, can you take us back and explain what went into that decision? Sure. Uh, Our Under-21 event was in January, and uh, the World Juniors used to be in March. So the teams would win in January and have a bit of time before they advanced to the World Juniors. What a couple of things happened. So the placement of that particular event is in the middle of exams. And so it affected most of our athletes um, dealing with exams at that time. And also uh, the WCF changed the world junior dates instead of March, they went to the middle of February. So we then ran into a problem where we were sending our young teams two weeks later. So for instance, um, the two teams from Manitoba that won they uh, in 2020, they won in BC at the end of January. And then two weeks later, they were in Russia. And it was quite a scramble, you know, to get their visas prepared. Uh, quite a few family members couldn't even go because the logistics were too complicated. It's a very huge expense. 
um, especially for them to get over. And really, there's no preparation time. So, you know, I get there in a momentum stage. Um, but what we look at is we're looking at the overall group of, of kids that are that age. So, you know, we can singly look at just those two teams that won. But what we want to do is we want to look at all of our kids. And so what was happening is some of the clubs across Canada don't open until October. And if they need to go into a provincial or territorial playdown, that happens in December. And so for the majority of the teams across Canada at under 21, their season was over by New Year's. Um, simply because they didn't win their province or territory, somebody else won. So then, you know, we had 14 teams that had an extension of their season by three weeks. And that was it. So what was happening is we, we had, we had a lot of young players who were having half a season. And so by extending their season to the end of March, it gives us, gives the under 21 kids a chance to play all season it also gives them an opportunity to go into their Scotties and Briar playdown um, because some of them had conflicts within their own province, whether it was when the Canadians were held, it affected their uh, provincial or territorial playdowns for Scotties or Briar, things like that. So what we, what we do in curling is we, we want to make sure that if players want to play up. So for instance, if, if a U21 team wants to play in a Scotties or Briar event, we want to make sure our calendar is not, causing any conflict for them. So it did allow us to, and actually we rearranged our entire schedule. Um, it wasn't just under 21 that, that was affected. We ended up rearranging our entire schedule across the board. So it was, it was part of it. You know, I think the the biggest piece was under 21 that sort of people were affected by, but now uh, our under 21 athletes have an entire season that they play together as a team. Um, and then the winning teams then go to the world juniors the following season. So when we look at our biggest pool of athletes, they had an essentially 25% longer season um, by extending it. And then what we did is we flipped the under 21 and under 18. So the under 18 were at the end of the season. We put that into February. So we took that away from an exam time. And what we've noticed um, is most of our under 18 competitive teams actually enter the under 21 playdowns. So it didn't affect any of the under 18 teams because they still went into their playdowns. They were able to go into the under 21 playdowns and they played a full season. So it opened up an opportunity um, for our athletes to be able to play a full season and also under 21, then we had no conflict with youth uh, sports either. One program offered by Curling Canada that I believe is still a little under the radar is the Next Gen program, which is geared at helping some of Canada's elite younger curlers. Can you tell our audience a little bit more about Curling Canada's Next Gen program? Yeah, thanks very much, Frank. And, and I would say we probably haven't done a very good job of communicating this particular program. We, it's been quite new, so we're just in our third year of it. Um, but we definitely want to sort of share the process. Now, there are differences in the program. So uh, Curling Canada runs the Curling Canada National Next Gen program. That's different from some provincial programs that are called Next Gen. So uh, just the Curling Canada National Next Gen program, what that is, is teams that have um, their top in CTRS, but there's also an age restriction with it. So we have an under 25 group 
and we have an under 32 group. So we've got teams that fall into sort of one or the other. So we have some younger teams that are top CTRS, like for instance, um, you know, when you take a look at uh, Mackenzie Zacharias, she would fall into the under 25 side of it. And then we've got uh, under 32. So that would be like a, a Matt Dunstone, um, Corinne Brown kind of thing. So we've got teams that kind of fall into both because the, the National Next Gen program is targeted at athletes that are five to eight years away from the podium. So we're looking at sort of the next Olympic cycle. And so we've got six women's teams, we've got six men's teams, and we've got um, three mixed doubles teams. So the mixed doubles teams fall into a, an under 30 category. So we've got 15 teams that we're working with this year. Now, obviously, it's been a, a bit of a, you know, an odd year. So it's everything's done online right now. Um, but in the past, we've run two national um, next gen super camps. So we ran one in April in Calgary, and we ran one in um, August in uh, just outside Toronto. So, and that was a couple of years ago. We were supposed to run one last summer, but we weren't able to. And what that does is it kind of gets our, our young players, top players um, together. Uh, we bring in our national coaches, and it's just turned out to be a really fabulous opportunity, not just for the players to sort of network together, but for the teams to really sort of identify some gaps, things that they can work on. And then we have national coaches that work with them throughout the season. And then we also provide them some funding. Now, one of the events that has been added to the 2021-2022 schedule is an under-23 event. Is that scheduled as an annual event or is it a one-off that Curling Canada will be organizing next season? Yeah, the under-23 event is a, is a one-time event to try to, you know, to give those players that kind of fall in the 21-22 age category um, a national type event where, you know, they're going to be competing against athletes all across the country. It's um, the difference with that one is they don't qualify through their member association. What they'll do is they'll uh, form teams, submit an application, and we'll have criteria that will be scored. And then our selection committee will kind of go through. Um, and what we're doing with that one is, is providing an opportunity for them to play with anybody in Canada. So we've got four person men's teams, four person women's teams, um, we're able to have up to 30 men's teams and up to 30 women's teams. So we'll just see how many teams apply and kind of decide on the format uh, and things like that from there. But we wanted to provide an opportunity that is competitive, provides them a social opportunity to sort of hang out together because this is a cohort that we really care about and we want to make sure that we provide a, a, a fun opportunity for them next season. So we're fortunate in Lethbridge, their curling club is attached to the arena where the briar is going to be. And we were able to get access to eight sheets of ice. So it provided that uh, awesome competitive environment, but also a social opportunity to take in part of the briar while they're there as well. Now, originally, several additional teams were going to be invited to the 2021 under-18s because teams had missed out when the 2020 event was cancelled. Now that the under-18s have been cancelled for a second consecutive year, how big of a field will compete in Timmins, Ontario at the 2022 under-18s? So with the under-18, we did, like, we really tried to, with the double-up event, you know, get those kids that were affected by COVID, and then COVID hit again, like, sort of, extended so 
Um, what we did is we went back to our original plan of having 21 teams. So what that will be, there will be 14 member association teams, one host team. So Northern Ontario will get that spot. So Northern Ontario will get an, a member association spot and a host spot. So you'll see two teams from Northern Ontario for both the men and the women. And then we have an additional um, six teams that will come from MA points. I had to think about how we used it. So what we did is we went through previous, uh, the two previous under 18 nationals that were able to be held. Uh, we went through the point system that they earned through the MA cup and just ranked them. And so the, the additional birth spots go to those teams that ranked the highest in the MA Cup over those two previous seasons. Now, one event that I noticed on the list that came out uh, a week or so ago is an under-25 event that we haven't really discussed yet. Uh, can you share a little more about this under-25 event? So we've got, with our uh, National Next Gen program, we have teams that qualify through CTRS. And we also wanted to provide an opportunity for the teams that fall below those teams in CTRS, an opportunity to play in to get into the National Next Gen program. So what the U25 Invitational event will allow is those teams that just missed out the opportunity, opportunity to be part of the National Next Gen program, gives them a competition, they win it, then they're in our National Next Gen program. We'll also have national coaches on site. We'll make sure we do some um, high-performance development with those athletes. So it also gives us an opportunity to sort of see the broader group of next-gen teams uh, across the country. So we're really excited about, about that event, and that's something we've been working towards for a while. And finally, Helen, uh, one of the main complaints or concerns I've heard over the past few seasons is that the curling talent in Canada seems to be centralized in a small number of provinces. As an example, Manitoba will have five teams competing at the Scotties this season because of the temporary change in format due to the pandemic. Uh, you follow curling uh, at the uh, junior level really closely. Do you get the sense that newer programs such as the under-18s and the Next Gen are slowly starting to develop a strong crop of younger curlers around the country as examples uh, Newfoundland and Labrador who have shown great progress at recent junior national events and uh, North Ontario who swept the first ever Canadian under 18 titles winning both the men's and women's events in 2017 and then North Ontario winning the women's event again in 2019. Oh I absolutely agree and I think with expanding our fields for under 18 to 21 teams and under 21 we're expanding it to 18 teams we're actually we are rewarding those provinces and territories that are doing well and so what it's doing it's it's allowing for instance as you mentioned Brad Gushu when he was top in the juniors what it would allow is you know if his team was doing well then it would allow another men's team from Newfoundland an opportunity to get to the nationals as well you know Tyler Tardy won multiple years out of uh, BC so this now provides any opportunity for teams that do very well or provinces or territories that do very well at a national event, they get a second entry and that will help the development because some teams might say, well, I can't beat so-and-so, you know, they're really good, but I could get that second spot. So we're hoping, you know, it creates an opportunity where um, it, it provides, you know, a little extra carrot for uh, different provinces and territories to get that second birth in those nationals. 
And that does it for this week's episode. A big thank you to Nolan Thiessen, Jeff Stoughton, and Helen Radford for joining me this week. And don't forget to uh, check out our partners in the uh, Curling Podcast Network, the Two Girls in the Game podcast, and the Curling Legends podcast. And also join us next week for our Scotties preview, which will include interviews with reps from several of the competing teams. I'm Frank Rock, and this is the From the Hack podcast, part of the Curling News and Sports Illustrated partnership.